This morning we're looking at uh, 1 John, which is almost to the end of your Bible, just before the book of Revelation. 1 John, and we are just starting a new series on this book. We looked at a survey last week. This morning I want us to look at the first four verses of the letter of 1 John. Under the theme, it's a wonderful life. This is what uh, God's revealing for us here. Let me read it to you. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands. Concerning the word of the life, the life was manifested, and we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that You too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are witnessing, we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. I want us to look at this passage this morning and just think about what would it take to make our lives more wonderful. I think there are ingredients in this passage that answers that question for us. Um, In 1998, a... uh, a man from Hoboken, New Jersey, passed away, and he was famous. It made world news. And what grabbed me was his daughter put three things in his coffin. The man was a man that was known for doing life his way. He wrote a song about it. His name was Frank Sinatra. And his daughter put a bottle of whiskey, a pack of cigarettes, and some change, ten dimes, in his coffin. And when I thought about that, I said, well, and this is the guy who did life his way. But she said, those things most symbolize my daddy. And she was proud to be able to put those in his coffin. And I thought, man, that's depressing for your life to be, I mean, you have the ability, the power, the money to do anything you want to do, and then your life to be summed up by whiskey, smokes, and change. Some of you who are younger ask the older people why you needed 10 dimes. But anyway, it's so depressing. That's it. Whiskey, smokes, and dimes. I said, life is worth so much more than that. And life can be much more wonderful than that. So it got me thinking, what what are three things that I'd want in my coffin? And I'll give you those symbols in a minute. But what would sum up our life? And this passage comes to mind. Three things that are ingredients in our life because of Christ that make our life literally wonderful. One is it's, it's, a, it's a life that's eternal. And I use the alliteration here, eternal flame. And it's a life that's encouraging, encouraging fellowship. And it's a life that reaches a fullness of joy. So I want you to dig into this passage with me and see these three ingredients of a wonderful life, a life that's, first of all, an eternal flame. Now, you might miss this without having a little Greek in your background, but you don't really have to. I think you can see it in the text. But what is the subject of the first two verses? And it says, that which was from the beginning, is like he's building up to expose the subject, which we have heard, 
which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, which we've touched with our hands, and he hasn't given you the subject yet. He's building to give you the subject concerning the word of, and here comes the subject, life. The sub, and in the Greek, the definite article is there. The word of the life. And if you look at the text, you can see the very next phrase, verse 2, the life. It's like, let me expound upon that a little bit more. The life was manifested, and we've seen it, and we've testified to it, and we proclaim to you, and here it is again, the life, except now it's described as the eternal life. The subject's the life. He says, we've been given life. And it's not just any life, it was the life that was in the beginning. So, what beginning is he talking about? And he's literally taking us back to creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in that created time, you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, in the beginning... God not only created heaven and earth, but God created us. And He created us to have life. Now, think about that for a minute. When God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are creating all the things in six days, on the sixth day they create man. And it says they create man from the dust of the ground. You remember that story. To me, it's you know, we don't know exactly how it is. How, how do you create something out of dust? I, I can't make dust stick together without a little you know, glue, without some sort of water. It's kind of like making a sculpture on the sand when you go to the beach. You know, we may have some people here. I'm not one of them. These people who can make just gorgeous sculptures you know, of, of, of some fish, or a lot of times it's famous as an alligator. You know, you walk down the beach and you see... Man, that's awesome. They, how do they make such a glorious-looking alligator? Well, you know, it takes water to... It's got to have wet sand. And they pack it, and they, they sculpt it. Well, God's done that. He's created Adam and Eve. Well, in this case, it was just Adam at first. Creates Adam out of the dust. And he's there in the dust. He didn't create Adam, you know, like that, a male, breathing. He says he creates him from the dust of the earth. And after God creates Adam from the dust of the earth, I mean, you can imagine maybe the dialogue between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit said, yeah, that's about right, maybe a little bit here, a little bit there. Now we've got Adam, he's created in our image. He looks like he's supposed to look. And it says, only after he was created in the dust did God, and you can look it up, Genesis 2, verse 7, says, he breathed into his nostrils. So somehow air came through the nostrils of Adam, and he breathed life, the life, into this being. So this being that's been shaped to image God now has the very breath of God 
flowing into his nostrils, and he comes alive. That was what was in the beginning. That was life. From the dust of the earth to living and breathing the very air or sustenance or essence of God through our nostrils. When, and then Eve was made from Adam's rib. You know the story. Now as they lived, they, they lived with the certainty. As long as they had the air of God, there was life. It was a certainty of life. They were promised, you will live unless you eat from that tree over there in the middle of the garden. If you eat from that tree in the middle of the garden, you will what? Surely die. Now when they ate from that tree, everything changed. Up until that point, they had no fear of death. None. They lived with life. As soon as they sinned, the wages of sin are death. They were promised death. Now, from this point onward, we live with the certainty of death. Ten out of ten die, right? We, have the, we live with the certainty of death. What John is telling us, he says, I, I want to share something wonderful with you. I want to show what was from the beginning, what was life. That life that was breathed into the nostrils of Adam, that life has shown up. It's been manifested to us. And of course, you know where he's going here. He says, we've seen him. We've touched him. We've heard him. We've been in his presence. The life is Christ. The life that was from the beginning. The one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That one has shown up. And he's manifested himself to us. We've been living with the certainty of death. And then Jesus shows up. And gives us a promise of life. And it's not just any life. You saw it in verse 2. It is eternal life. So instead of living with the certainty of death. And even the certainty of eternal death. Living apart from the mercy of God in hell forever. Now we have the promise of Christ showing up. And life being in him and given to us. Now, it doesn't really get much better than this. Let me take you back. Do you remember when Princess Diana died? Uh, and Elton John wrote a song. It became real famous. And Elton John's song was that Princess Diana, who died very young, said she was like a candle burning in the wind whose candle or flame went out you know, way before it's time. That was the illustration in his song. And everybody kind of got a hold of that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's life. We live with the certainty of death, uh, just a, a, a puff of air, and we're out like a candle burning in the wind. And we never know when our life's going to go out. And what John is saying is, doesn't have to be that way. Christ has come that we might have 
life and have it eternal so that when I am in my coffin, I'm not a candle that's burned out, but I am still aflame with the life of Jesus. And I'm still burning. And that life is still in me. That's where he's taken us. The beauty of seeing a life that does not die. You see, Jesus didn't come to give us an improved system. Nowhere do you have the promise, you know, um, that Jesus shows up and says, I promise you, you'll have a better life if you just eat your vegetables. That's what my mom told me. That's not what Jesus told me. I promise you'll have a better life if you just exercise. I promise you'll have a better life if you just get out of debt, if you just do X, Y, Z. It doesn't matter. That's not what Jesus came to do or say. Jesus, I came to give you life. The life that was in the beginning, that was lost by Adam and Eve. I came to give you that life. A life that is eternal, burning forever and ever. Um, just think about Jesus walking on this earth. The disciples said in John 7, he says, nobody spoke like this man. Nobody has ever spoken like him. No one ever had the power like him. No one was ever like him. Why? Because he was, he was the life. They had never seen, heard, touched, smelled anything like this. And that's why he's using that language in 1 John. He says, we've actually hugged him, handled him, touched him, heard him, seen him. We, we came in contact with the life. Never before has that been done. We touched life itself, and all we could think about was how we've been touching death. You know, all of us talk about death. As we get older and older and older, we, we, we see life being squeezed out of us. And our bodies quit functioning, and they start hurting and aching, and it's, it's just life going out. And here's the promise of, no, life can come in. And life can remain and stay with us. That's good news. That's a wonderful life. Try to comprehend that we can get what Adam and Eve lost. And we get it through Christ. That's what John's trying to tell us. He says, I, I want you to see what concerns the word, the message of the life. That life that was in the beginning is now ours. Now, let's take it to another level. Not only do you have this eternal life in Christ that exists through Christ being in us, he says, now this becomes a fellowship. Verse 3, that which we've seen, heard, and proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Notice the fellowship goes two ways. It's addressed there outwardly. We get fellowship with one another, but we get fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. It's a fellowship that's upward. It's, it's a dual fellowship. Um, the Greek word there is, is koinonia. You know there are groups called koinonia. Cornania is this fellowship that's is trying to describe a partnership, a joint 
uh, union. It's not just a social fellowship where Jesus didn't come to say, hey, let's do, you know, food and drinks, social fellowship. That's not what he's asking. That's what, not what he's describing. This is a partnership, a union, a joint shared life together with God and with his people. Now, let me give you a couple passages to see how that plays out. Look at Romans 8, 15 through 17, describing our adoption. Romans 8, verses 15 through 17. And just think about this from the standpoint of how this impacts fellowship. Romans 8, beginning at verse 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Greek and Hebrew put together, Daddy, Daddy. We cry out, Daddy, Daddy, that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So stop and think about that now. You see a union there that when the Spirit of God comes into us and we're adopted and become the sons of God, he says, you are so united to God that you're an heir to God, H-E-I-R. You inherit what God wants to will to you. Not only are you an heir of God, but you're co-heirs with Christ. So when God is distributing His inheritance, you and me who are believers in Christ, we are standing in line to receive this inheritance. We're standing in line with Christ. Does that blow your mind? You mean my portion is like Christ's portion? And God says, yes. Is that not wonderful? He says, yes, it's wonderful. You're inheriting the life of Christ, Adam and Eve lost, and with that life, you come into a fellowship, a partnership with God. And that partnership is a real union that exists so that you get an inheritance from God, just as Christ, the Son of God, would get an inheritance. You get one too. That's, what he's, that's the kind of fellowship he's describing. It's just much deeper and richer than just um, a social kind of fellowship. Look at 2 Peter. This is a passage that just really blows me away. 2 Peter 1, verse 4. Let me read 3 and 4. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And here it is. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 
Now that's, that's deep. That because of God's power through Christ to me, I get divine nature deposited. Almost goes back to Genesis 2-7. The very breath of God being breathed into my nostrils. So that I'm breathing God. But it's even deeper. I'm, I, am, I am absorbing divine nature. I am human. In case you didn't know, I, you know, I have to tell people from time to time. But God grants me divinity. So I want to implant within you my nature. So that when you're in Christ, you're not just hearing things, seeing things, touching things, feeling things. But you have absorbed my very nature. You take my DNA. You become like me. The image of God that has been obscured by sin is removed as you are pardoned in Christ. So that now there is a fellowship between us and God not obscured with sin. That His nature and our natures, we, we get together and we say we're one. We're like-minded. We're on the same page. We are one. And that fellowship just grows deeper and deeper uh, as this corrupt nature is removed I thought for a minute how to explain this fellowship with us, with one another. If I say to my wife in some romantic moment, say, honey, you, I love you so much. You, you are in my life. You're in my heart. You're in my soul. You're my life. She understands what I'm saying. You understand what I'm saying. You've had people that are in your life. They're in your heart. They're in your soul. You can't rip them out. They are there in that way. It's deep. It's intimate. And God's taking us there with him and beyond. Now, I want you to think about this because you've probably read your Bibles through by now. As you read through your Bibles again, I want you to stop when you see the word in Christ. How many times have you read that you are in Christ? If you've read through the New Testament, you've read that 187 times. You are in Christ, you're in His heart. You're in his soul. You're in his life. And he likes it. He likes you there. You're not just in him. Or he's not just in you. You're in him. It's a fellowship. It's a union. It's koinonia. It's partnership. I am in God. God is in me. I am in Christ. 
I like him in my life. He likes me in his life. Does that not make you say, hallelujah? Amen. I mean, it's awesome. That's a wonderful life the people without Christ don't have. It's, it's given to us who receive the life which is in Christ. And God's been telling this over and over, this story. The reason I send my only begotten son into the world is so that you could be in him and he in you. So that you could be one. You could be in fellowship with me and the Spirit and the Son so that we could be together for an eternity, uh, an eternal life. That's what we're known for as believers. That's what John is trying to convey. He said, I want to convey that what was lost in the beginning is gained in Christ to us now. We get the very nature of God, which is why we want to be together as individuals because, well... We, we, we don't want to separate this partnership. Let me just give you a few in Christ. I know there's 187 of them. Let me give you a few uh, so you have something to take home. Look at the, uh, Romans 6, verse 23. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Where? In Christ. I am in Him. Jesus our Lord. Chapter 8 of Romans, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the Spirit of the life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The joy of being in Christ, not just having Christ in me. And Romans 8, verse 39 Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. The wonderful life we have, we have because we are in Him. It's manifested to us. We're in Him. He's in us. We have this wonderful fellowship between us. Let me give you one more truth from 1 John. Not only do we have this eternal flame of life now in Christ, this encouraging fellowship that doesn't diminish, it just grows, but an enjoyable fullness. Verse 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. Joy that's full, joy that's complete. Seventy times in the Bible, God speaks to us about joy or rejoicing. He doesn't speak that many times about witnessing. I think this is important to him. That he wants us to have a joy that's complete. That's full. That's measured up. That exceeds. This joy does not come because of your success or mine. It doesn't come because of sin. Yours or mine. It comes because of Christ. So I want you to have a joy that is 
bigger, greater, more full than what you will get through success or what you will get through sin. I want you to have the fullness, the completeness of joy. Let me give you a few passages. Look at John 15, verse 11. John 15, verse 11. Jesus here praying for our joy. Says, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, may be made full. God wants us. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking these truths so that you'll get more and more joy. Chapter 16 of John, verse 24. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask. You will receive that your joy may be made full. He said, why aren't y'all praying more? Why don't you share your prayer requests? He says, one of the results and goals and outcomes of prayer is I get involved in your life, and it makes your joy full. I want you to have a fullness of joy. You can have it if you'll just start praying more. You'll be in me more. You'll have more joy. And then one other, Second John 12. 2 John verse 12. This is in the Bible a number of times, but it's said well here. 2 John 12 says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be made complete. There's the reality that it's, if it's not in person, it's not complete. It's not full. We can't communicate virtually to that level, that degree. And as, a, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we know that. We, we must get together and be in person to elevate our joy. And God wants that for us. He wants us to have that great and greater joy. You know, people say from time to time, you're never going to be happy until fill in the blank. You're never going to be happy until you get out of debt and start working on it. You're never going to be happy until you get another job. You're never going to be happy until you get married. You're never going to be happy until you get single. I mean, you can fill in the blank. Lots of people have done so. What's God saying? You won't receive the fullness of joy. You won't receive it. You can be happy. You can have a certain temporal measure of happiness. But you're happy. Your joy won't be complete unless Christ is in it. Unless Christ is answering your prayers. Unless Christ is encouraging your fellowship. Unless Christ is unifying you with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Unless Christ is building you back up again into the glorious image of God without spot or blemish. And God says, that's where I want to take you. To a place where you have the fullness of joy. And I want you to have that. I, I was in the woods one day, raining and it was muddy. And I went with another person to, on this hunting trip who had a four-wheel drive vehicle for that purpose. Because uh, he had four-wheel drive and I didn't. And, and as, as we were getting deep in the woods and the mud was getting deeper and deeper, I, 
I, you know, I was kind of concerned. I said, yeah, I think it'd be a good time to go ahead and engage the four-wheel drive because I didn't want to get stuck out there. And he said, well, that would be, it would be smart to do that. He says, but we, we're not going to do that. And I said, why are we not doing that? He said, well, the four-wheel drive doesn't work. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, that, that kind of kills a lot of the satisfaction that was advertised. And so many times, that's the way our life is. What has been advertised, we never get that fullness. It's never completed. It has been advertised for us that we were designed in the image of God, created to be in Christ Jesus, given gifts by His Spirit to function in His body, to build up the body of Christ. When we don't function according to design, we don't reach fullness of joy. But when we do function according to design, when all four wheels spin, there's a fullness of joy we can't have any other way. We must function according to the design God gave us to be His in Christ, living for Him according to his word. And First John is saying, I want to write these things so you have that. So you have life according to design. And that life is eternal. And that life is encouraging. And that life sustains. If you're a non-Christian in this room this morning or hearing me online, what do you get out of this passage? What do you get? I mean, to me, it's... it's, it's is telling me the message that if you don't have the life, you will be like a candle that will burn out way before it's time. Your existence won't be eternal. Your fellowship will not really be a partnership that's encouraging where you receive an inheritance that's significant. And your joy will never measure up to fullness. It'll always be down here somewhere. You can't get these things without Jesus. So my passion for you is to get Jesus. Just where you are, say, Jesus, come into my life. I need you. Because apart from you, I don't have the life that is eternal. John says, it's been manifested to us. Why can't you have it too? Receive Christ. For those of us who have already received Christ, he should fill us with an excitement that we are the light of the world. We're the life of Christ. Let us share that with our kids, the next generation. Let us share that with the world. And let us be encouraged ourselves. We get so easily depressed and forget that what has been given to us is of substance that cannot be taken away. We are in Christ and he likes it. And he holds us and no one can snatch us out of his hand. And we're his. And we're his for all eternity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the life that has been given to us in Christ. Father, forgive us for the times we have rejected you. Let us receive you now. Lord, for those of us who have received you and pushed you away. 
and sought the things of this world, may they grow dim. And may we see again the beauty and the glory of having the life of Christ within us. May it inflame us and encourage us. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.